I really enjoy Sunday evening uh, because it is generally more informal. I mean, we're all sitting in one corner. I enjoy that. And um, I think I've only been to a Sunday evening service twice since living here. Um, but I have been struck with the faithfulness of those who gather. And um, the, the New Testament readings for this week were Acts 20 through 27. And I'm curious how many read Acts 20 through 27. This is incredible. Not only are you here physically, but you read. That's awesome. Um, so I just wanted to take a minute and uh, sort of pause to, to recognize what this faithful gathering can be or what it can mean. Um, have you come to worship this evening? Have you come here to meet God? Um, I was thinking about that before, before rolling down the hill, that uh, this is in its most essential form, the body of Christ gathering to do the simple things that Christ would have us do. To, to fellowship with one another, to spend time singing, to spend time in his word, and um, to hear from him. And so I think there's, there can be a weight to this moment, and there's something to be said for that. And so I just wanted to take a minute to recognize that, that we've, we've gathered here to meet with God. And uh, before we start in Acts, I just wanted to say uh, a prayer um, that I think can be a reminder to us and kind of guide us in this time and, and in this week. God of shelter, help us to trust the promise. There are times it feels like our present reality will always be it becomes difficult to dream. Our imaginations for healing and health are far too small. Expand them, God, that we might grow the branches of hope into something we can cling onto without them buckling under the weight of our next tragedy. Let our dreaming be our rest, a shade from the heat of the evils of this world, that our alienation and oppression would not resign us to the wilderness. Be who you say you are. If you are a stronghold, then keep the marginalized within the walls of your chest. If you are destroyer of the veil, come and let us fall from the eyes of those who do injustice and make death. And protect our dreaming, Lord, that as we wait for you, our hope would not be tarnished by our tears, but renewed 
sacred glints of light in the darkness. Amen. So I was reading through Acts 20 to 27 this week, and actually I just read through the end because there's only one chapter after 27. And uh, there's a couple of parts of the Bible, maybe in Judges, maybe a couple of battles uh, <laughs> in Joshua, but this reads like an action thriller movie. I mean, this is like a little bit of uh, Mission Impossible mixed with, I don't know, uh, something else exciting. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I don't know if that stuck out to you, but this is like, this is exciting stuff. Um, and to think that this is the sort of narrative theological expression of how the gospel of Christ was being spread to the Gentiles. Paul going from town to town, encountering troubles, being, you know, questioned, trialed, put in prison, um, eating with people, plots against him to kidnap him and kill him. I mean, this is like, this is the, you know, this is a movie. And that's like the first reading. Is like, wow, this narrative really drives. This is really capturing the imagination. Paul's nephew catches wind of the plot and warns him. I mean, this is exciting. Uh, Eutychus falls out of the window, is raised from the dead. Um, there's comedy, right? Like, I, that is a little bit of a comedic. Paul preaches so long, and it's probably hot, like it is here right now. <laughs> it's a joke. Um, and he falls out the window and dies. Uh, this is like, um, you know, warning to all preachers, unless you possess the power to raise those bored to death by your preaching, don't keep preaching. I don't have this power right now, so I won't kill you. Um, but throughout all of this excitement, it, it stuck out to me a couple of things, and those just a few things that I wanted to point out. Um, I think that Paul's ministry was marked by two things that he did above all else. And two things that the church continues to do um, faithfully every Sunday across the world. And that is um, to commemorate, to participate in the word and in the table. Everywhere Paul went, he preached. He shared meals with fellow believers. He walked the walk of Christ. And actually, it's pretty interesting to kind of not take it too far, but to parallel this end of Acts, the second half, with Christ's journey. 
there's similar themes that come out. Luke writes this in a way that in the back of our head is sort of bringing up Christ's journey to Jerusalem. Paul is trying to make it to Rome. He's coming from Jerusalem. He's met with the leaders there. But this is about the gospel spreading across the world. And in this, there's these parallels. And these parallels are met at their most essential, basic place with the word, the gospel, and the table, sharing in the body of Christ. And he does that here when he preaches too long. It's interesting that the fact that this Eutychus died and was brought back to life is almost a side note to what was going on the rest of the time. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were lamps, and they ate together, and Paul went on and on. And this guy falls out, dies. Paul almost nonchalantly just says, do not be alarmed. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. It's as though the miracle part was just an outpouring of the Spirit to what the church was tasked to do from the beginning, was to hear the word and gather at the table. The second thing that popped out to me uh, was the Jewishness of all of this. Uh, I got to thinking that it's not often in Western Christianity today, and particularly in America, that we take the time to observe the origins of the gospel in its Jewish roots. Um, that's, that's like a big topic. But really, what I mean to say by that is that throughout all of Paul's preaching and throughout the book of Acts and then the epistles, there's a clear understanding of these authors that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that made his covenant love available to all and that those he called were to be a light to the world, that those he blessed were to be a blessing. And that history doesn't start in the first century. This work of God begins in creation, and it begins in the calling of Abraham, and it is carried through to us. And I got to thinking about that specifically because it's easy to lose sight of the bigger picture. Um, I think it's easy to wake up in the morning or go to sleep at night and think this is it, and it's not great. To think, um, especially maybe for my generation that hasn't experienced maybe another global pandemic on this scale, to think, this is awful. 
how do we ever bounce back from this? Uh, or financial crises or political, you know, messes. Um, and even really the story of the local church, the story of, of our families, there's a long history there. And God has been at work for a very long time. And I think that Paul especially was keenly aware and repeatedly claims to all of the authorities with whom he engages and defends himself that he's not contradicting the Jewish law. And Jesus made the same claims before the Sanhedrin, before the king, to say, actually, as a Christian, I represent the deepest heart of this tradition, that from Abraham, the patriarch of patriarchs, from the beginning of God's call to his creation, it has been this story, and that Christ is the center of all of it. Of course, that message is pretty subversive. I mean, it's, people were not happy to hear that, both Jews and Gentiles, because for Jews to say that the Messiah has come, that has its own problems. And for Gentiles to say there's a different king other than you, you know, power doesn't belong to you, this also poses problems. So from every angle, Paul, Jesus, we make pretty subversive claims about origins of life, about authority on earth, about um, the ordering of creation. And you can kind of see the massive implications of all these claims that begin and end in Christ. The third thing that, um, that popped out to me that I really kind of spent a little bit more time with was um, at the end of the book, they set sail for Rome. And um, beginning in chapter 27, uh, Paul's been through all of this trouble, this exciting. And at this point in the story, like if this is a movie or something, uh, you're watching and you're exhausted by all of the excitement. You're exhausted. It's too much. And you think, naturally, there can be no more after this. And they surprise you still. <laughs> so Paul sails for Rome, and there's a storm. And um, it's bad. They are out there 14 nights. Um, and in the end, they um, come to shore. And this was a moment where um, the movie analogy sort of, sort of falls short. Because this, to me, uh, speaking of the sort of the parallels between Paul's journey and, and, and the journey of Christ, 
this was the coming to the cross. This was the, the sort of apex, the, uh, the climax. And over and over, the boat nearly comes to destruction. The crew is nearly killed. Uh, at the hand of the storm and also at the hand of the guards. The guards want to kill the prisoners because if the prisoners escape, then the guards are responsible for them and they would be killed. And Paul, Paul uh, persuades them not to. But over and over, um, they're saved. And this got me thinking about... Um, what coming to the cross looks like. What that journey means for us. Because this is the life of, of the Christian. This is the life of ministry. To, to endure these hardships, maybe not dramatically written down. I mean, we don't all have a biographer with us at all times. And many of us will never set sail bound for Rome. But there's real parallels here to, to the life of believers. And I think that, I think that it struck me in that um, the life of faith lived out takes us to dark places where God's light is most needed and that's not a pleasure cruise you know that's not um, a Viking river boat to uh, to Italy or around Greece or something that um, that has its own meaning to each of us it's the mission of the church of this body to go into dark places and in those places to find Jesus already there to be to be in the dark and to have Christ calm the storm those of us um, in Christ can attest to that I mean we we can remember these moments. We, we speak to, to these moments, to Christ in our lives. Um, and maybe we're not sharing them with people at the grocery store, at the gas station, or at work every day. But there's moments that they're shared with children, grandchildren, parents, grandparents. And we know, we know what it means to come to the cross and to realize that, that Christ is there. And I think that uh, in, some, in, in many ways, this is, this is Luke sort of recapitulating justification. Justification by faith. To say that Christ did this and I've, I've written this down in the Gospel of Luke. And now look, his church 
goes out into the world in the act in acts to say that we know what the final verdict is and this is a bold claim but as christians we know what god says we know that we're justified now presently that God has saved and is continuing to save us now and we await the final word that can actually get you in trouble and it can also be an overwhelming sense of peace to know that the the saving presence of God is with us now Imagine what that does to a person to realize that the fullness of who they are is known in Christ. That in this, as, as God in Christ was bringing the ministry of reconciliation to himself, that so in Paul, he was going around the world proclaiming that this is this is the task of the church it's both at once this inspiring uh, <laughs> instruction or like uh, imperative and also kind of an intimidating terrifying task and it, it Got me thinking, what are we doing? I think we're called to make uh, many subversive claims. I think we're called to, over a lifetime, discover what being human really means but being a creature of God called to a mission really means. And I think that in arriving at the end of the book, it's kind of an open-ended book. And I think that's pretty intentional. The last verse reads, For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um... This week, this year, in your life, in mine, I think we're facing uh, a variety of shipwrecks. Um, I mean, you can fill in the blank there. Uh, But there's, my guess is... uh, quite a few circumstances, quite a few relationships 
that are that are difficult to be in and and I think the message to us this evening is that Christ is there with us that Christ has saved us and continues to save us today that at every turn that at every shortage of food every um, you know wave that batters the ship Christ is there saving us and and it makes me wonder um, what are we doing here most of you come uh, every Sunday morning evening to meet with God, to hear from Him, to be reminded of His saving work, to be encouraged in the task before us. What would, uh, what would you be surprised by God doing? If we, if we, every time we got together and every time we went out, anticipated meeting God, how would that shape our lives? How would that shape our community? I think Paul went out with um, not a very big plan. He wanted to get to Rome, and he was going to preach the gospel every step of the way. In the last two years of his life, he was under house arrest. He couldn't even go out. And through all of that, God was at work. That through all of those trials, through all of life, God was there. So I would, um, I would pray that this week, As with tonight, we would meet other people and wake up and eat with others, shake hands maybe, or bump elbows with others, and, and pray to God that he would show up, show up in our lives, in the life of this church, that he would continue to show his saving power. It begins here. It begins with a meeting, with singing, with eating together. And it goes out from there. Um, so before I wrap up, I, um, I was curious if any of you had prayer requests or praise I think I think we have a little bit of time something that you maybe want to share and we can um, we can pray to close at the end let's um, let's pray together Lord I thank you for for meeting us here
for being in this place. I thank you that you love us, that you gather us here to be your church. And I pray that you would go with us from here. I pray that you would give us powerful imaginations for what you can do here at this church and in, and in Grant County, in our families, in our neighborhoods. I pray that you would be at the center of it all. Bless this week. Bless each one here. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.